There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. A radiophonic novella, Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Dios FM. Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome back to season five of Locatora Radio por Casteras Peligrosas. Listen at your own risk. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella, which is just a very extra way of saying a podcast. A podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. Welcome back to season five. Thank you so much for tuning in. We know that it's been a minute, but we're really excited to be working and recording on Capitulo 101, 101. Last time on Locatora Radio, we launched season five with the first episode of 2021. We discussed the launch of Locatora Productions, our very own production house, and our iFund Women campaign. We shared with you all that we 
launched our 90 Days to 100K campaign in the hopes of raising $100,000 to help us cover all the costs associated with starting an indie production house. So we're going to share a little bit more about the inner workings of Locatora Radio, how our team operates, how each capitulo gets produced, and where your contribution ends up. Yes, but before that, we have a ton of updates, a ton of world news we want to address. And also, at All Recovering Catholics, is it me or is Satan having a moment? Satan really is having a time, and we're going to discuss Satan as one of our fave pop culture icons, TBH. (laughs) Not only a biblical icon, but also a pop culture one. And also, um, shout out parents, it was just Easter. Sorry that I'm having this conversation. (laughs) I don't know about you, Mala, but every year my parents watch the Ten Commandments at Easter. You (laughs) know... It's a, it's a tradition for many, many a Catholic family. I can't say that, that we watch the Ten Commandments every Easter, but it's a good one. <laughs> That's a good it's, one. That's an it epic, epic. four hours long. I no longer partake in that because I'm an adult, but as a child, man, it was long. And with, long with Charles, Charlton Heston, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Before, before he got in deep with the NRA. Right. A young yes. Charlton Heston, a strapping Charlton Heston. Very true. Very true. Yes. Anyway, we will be coming back to that conversation after we go over some of our updates and just talk about what's going on in the world. So just as a reminder, you can follow us across all social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on TikTok, and we are even on Clubhouse. And as we get closer to reaching certain milestones on our iFundWomen campaign, we will be hosting different rooms to discuss what it's like to fundraise, how it's been going, how long did it take for us to, you know, finally launch the campaign and all of that. Because many of you do not know, we have actually been talking about launching Locatora Productions for about a year. So we are going to address that, talk about all of that once we hit uh, 10K and we're well on our way. And of course, if you're looking for a way to contribute to Locatora, to Locatora Productions, or if you're looking for a Findom Dream and aspire to be our human wallet, you can always escort yourself to our Venmo at locatora-radio. Every dollar really and truly helps. And we'll talk more about how later in this episode. We also want to invite you to get 15% off of your purchases from Latina-owned makeup brand Vive Cosmetics. Head to vivecosmetics.com and use our affiliate code Locatora Radio 15 They do make mask proof lippies. Yes, we love Vive. We also want to shout out our pod friends who have donated different incentives to our campaigns such as Joy of Build with Joy, Yakari Gabriel, Julio Salgado, Kali Fanjardo Anstein, and Joanna of the Unapologetically Street Series. Thank you to them for making this possible. And also we want to thank our funders. We have 108 funders which is so exciting. And we want to thank all of them individually. If you're a funder, keep listening. Each episode, we will thank a new group of funders and keep listening to hear your name. Yes, thank you so much. I can't believe that 108 people have 
come through and contributed money and gotten us to where we're at, $100,000 is a pretty lofty goal in a relatively short period of time. But we set that goal because we truly believe that there are enough people who believe in the project and who want to support this work to reach the goal. So yeah, that being said, we're going to hop into the carne of today's episode. And we're going to start with a little segment on world updates. We can't necessarily uh, go in depth into every global happening in the span of a 45-minute capitulo, but what we're going to try and do is acknowledge the events that have been happening, especially here in LA, around the world, and the stuff that our listeners have DM'd us and reached out to us to ask us about, right? Because it affects us and our audience. So we want to start with something that I think is very much ongoing and part of a much larger issue, but this is about what's been happening at Echo Park Lake and uh, Echo Park Rising, essentially. So Diosa, do you want to like kind of give us a recap of what's been mm. happening in Silver Lake? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're from LA, if you've visited LA, you know that we are in a housing crisis. There have been a lot of efforts to declare it as a state of emergency because that is it's really what's happening compounded by a pandemic things have gotten really bad so if you've driven by echo park lake you may have seen that there were a lot of tents um, there were a lot of homeless folks taking refuge at echo park lake and there's been for me i think it's been really hard to keep up with the story because i've seen a lot of conflicting information and so we just want to encourage folks to do their own research and we can link some some different news articles um, in our newsletter so that y'all can be informed as to what's going on. But essentially, um, the council member of that district, Mitchell Farrell, decided that they were going to do a sweep. And so what that means is literally a sweep. And so you would have to leave all the houseless folks that were there would have to take their belongings and essentially find a new place. However, um, also want to recognize that efforts were made with urban alchemy to um, get folks housed and to get them into temporary housing, which would hopefully lead to permanent supportive housing. Um, and I, I say that there's been a lot of conflicting information because we saw this number, I want to say about 165 people were connected to Project Roomkey. Room yes, to Project Roomkey. Simultaneously, I've seen folks say, actually, we were promised room, but turns out there weren't any rooms, right? And so I think that it's a evolving story. And um, I want to shout or I want to recognize the folks on the ground that have been providing services, you know, and recognize that there have been people trying to provide services to houseless folks for months, right? And we hope to have a guest in the future to talk more about that. So Mala, do you want to add anything? Yeah, 100%. It's, ooh, tragic is like, it's beyond tragic. What's been happening in LA, LA is not the only place that has been hit hard by displacement and evictions. And I think one of the issues here is that we've gotten really no rent relief in the city over the course of the pandemic. There's been no rent relief. The alleged eviction moratorium where like when uh, because i think that there have been ongoing evictions you know as soon as landlords were able to evict people i think they started doing it 
And I'm sure that there have been families and some people who have gotten like uh, some reprieve or who have gotten a little bit of help, but it's been nowhere near enough. And so what I've definitely noticed, and if you're from LA or live in LA or have passed through, you've probably seen that it's just exploded, the amount of, of houselessness. And the first time I drove by Echo Park Lake, I hadn't been in Silver Lake for months because I was staying home and kind of just staying on my side of town. Uh, per the quarantine. And the first time that I really drove by during the pandemic, I was in complete shock and blown away. Not necessarily surprised, but really, really overwhelmed by how many tents and such um, little buildings people basically, you know, are creating for themselves, shelters that people are building for themselves at Echo Park Lake, and not just there, but in Culver City, all over downtown. In El Sereno on Huntington Drive, I've never seen homeless people there. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, what I want to make clear is these are our neighbors. Like these are formerly housed people who have been forced out of their housing and forced onto the streets or into parks and such. And in the city of Los Angeles and in the county, I don't think we've ever really had an appropriate or permanent response to houselessness. I think that what ends up happening and we, oh my God, we've seen sweeps so many times when they bring in big dump trucks and they literally take away everyone's stuff and throw away everyone's stuff. And when you do that to a houseless person, you're probably throwing away their medication and their important documents and the things that they have you know, gathered together to survive. And if you've, I've, I don't know if anybody out there has ever met a houseless person after a sweep, but when I was working at POV, I remember there on Beaudry, there's always been encampments. And one day they did a sweep and a lot of houseless people have appointments during the day and jobs. And I remember there was a houseless woman who, who walked by and one of my coworkers spoke to her and, and I also spoke to her in front of the building and she was like, I went, this woman, this poor woman told us that she had gone to an appointment and when she went back to her tent, it was just gone. All of her stuff was gone. So, she, you know, she's like alone in the city with like nothing except what's on her person. And it's not an answer. You know, it's not a solution. It, it throws people into further um, uh, disarray. And I think that one of the other unfortunate things is like, I think that sometimes service providers like provide options that are kind of like not really options. Because for example, like if you're houseless and you don't have a car and transportation, like you can't just get all over the county in the city, like on a whim, it takes a lot for somebody to get from one part of the city to, to the other. So I think one of the issues with Project Room Key is like Echo Park Lake is in Silver Lake and I think that the hotel that uh, they were offering uh, rooms at was like in Downey or something, which is just not feasible. It's not appropriate for the, the solution. And like, I think if we think about like what's been kind of going on in Sur El Sereno and South Pass and like those Caltrans houses, and there have been movements recently over the course of the pandemic to try and reclaim those empty houses, like houseless people are making very clear, like we live here, we would like to live here in this empty open space. But I think that service providers are sometimes too controlling with like, well, no, if you're going to get help, it has to be our kind of help, like in our location and where we decide you're going to be. But it's just, or you can't bring your pets, you know, you can't bring all your bags and your suitcases and your stuff, you know, you have to come all the way out here. So I don't know. I think that like the city and the county 
have a lot of work to do. And I think that like, we have to be more compassionate, especially when we think about how our neighborhoods do not benefit at all from these like really stringent, like policies and policing and like gutting social services and gutting housing. Like none of us benefit from Mm -hmm. that. And I think that the proof is in the pudding here. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to add like a part of it is also being like pro solutions So like, for example, folks that are homeowners, right, because a lot of the pushback comes from homeowners when there is any type of, um, for example, uh, a bridge home, right, is like a county initiative, right? But there's a lot of pushback from homeowners in their respective communities or cities where they say, well, we don't want supportive housing here. We don't want permanent supportive housing here, but then they, then they also don't want encampments. And so you can't have both. You can't have, you can't not want encampments, but then also not want permanent supportive housing. Right. And so part of it is being like pro solutions. Right. And so I think folks that like want to get involved, like getting involved locally and like letting your city council people know, like you want permanent supportive housing, right? Because like Mala mentioned, these are literally our community members, our neighbors, right? And so having, leading with compassion, I think is going to be key and also getting involved because those folks that don't want permanent supportive housing and they don't want solutions, you best believe that they are at those city council meetings, sharing their public comment. They're all over Facebook. Like I see them in the comments as well, like saying like, we don't want this here. It's just dehumanizing to houseless folks. So that's one way to get involved, you know, like be vocal that you want solutions and you want permanent supportive housing in your neighborhood. 100%. So of course, um, there's always more to learn. I suggest checking out the Echo Park Rising hashtag and folks who have been reporting from on the ground. You know, I follow the LA Taco folks and the LA Times folks. And if you are into local news, I suggest getting on Twitter because a lot of journalists are out there on the street and like streaming live and reporting directly. So um you know, get yourself educated and find out ways to to help in your immediate circle of influence. So that's our update for houselessness and Echo Park Rising. But of course, there's a lot going on in the world. And we also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the ongoing, right, historical and current present day violence against Asian Americans that has been taken, taking place. And we want to talk about the Stop Asian Hate Conversation and Initiative and make sure that we cover that on the podcast as well. Because of course, our audience is a predominantly Latinx audience and our community is not free of anti-Asian prejudice and anti-Asian racism. So I think that we are just as responsible Uh, for ensuring that we're doing our own educating and not contributing to this issue. Yes, absolutely, Mala. Thank you for saying that because, you know, here at Locatora, we've been saying this for years now, the work starts at home and it really does take like those uncomfortable conversations with your family where you say like, this is not like your racial comments, your hateful comments are not just jokes, right? Things are not just jokes anymore. There's like implicit violence in that and there's also real life consequences as we see there has been a exponential rise in hate crimes against asian americans and the asian community and we will be having a guest on our next episode um, that will be speaking about 
the current climate in the U.S. and also the historical context as well. And so we just want you to know that we recognize and we will be bringing a guest um, that can speak on that specifically. Absolutely. And if you all have guests that you would love to see us in conversation with, you know, we always invite suggestions, um, recommendations. And if there's a speaker or someone that you think would really contribute to the conversation and that our community and listenership maybe needs to hear from, drop us a DM, email us, hola at locatoraradio.com. Yeah. Also want to um, let folks know that Gabriela Los Angeles, a organization and API organization and coalition will be doing an Instagram takeover this week, this week of April 5th. And so there will be a flyer and you can learn more about what this organization is doing in LA and I believe California as well. Just it's a a statewide organization. So uh, keep your eye out for that. And um, so you can learn more as well. On to some global pop culture news. Selena the Series Part 2 is set to air soon. It's going to drop soon. If you have been listening to the podcast or following us on social media, you will know that I had a very strong reaction to Part 1 of Selena the Series and all of their promotional materials. So we want to just acknowledge that Part 2 is coming out. We have seen the trailer. What do you think, Diosa, so far? What do you think about the new trailer? And what are your expectations for Part 2? Okay, so I have low expectations. (laughs) I'll be honest. I have low expectations. However, I want to reiterate that I want it to be good. Like I don't want it to fail. I don't want it to be bad. I don't want a poor representation of Selena. I don't want any of those things. Right. And so I hope that it's good. I hope that it's centered on Selena. I understand wanting to highlight more of the the band. I I get that. I hope that it's the band in relation to Selena and we get to see her relationships with each member in different ways. Um, So yeah, I hope that it's good, but I have low expectations. Yeah, I, um, to reiterate my gripes from season one, you know, if, lest we forget, I thought that it was truly tragic the way that Selena, the title character, had almost no screen time and very few lines. A, a very, very shallow storyline, I felt, was written for Selena as a character. And when it comes to season two, I've seen the trailer. It's the Houston Astrodome. I think that they're doing a better job at editing the dancing. Um, The dancing looks a little bit better, you know, but I I think a lot of it is editing. I don't want to be an overly harsh critic, but I will say that the, the the part two trailer centers the Houston Astrodome concert the show where she's in her glittery glittery purple jumpsuit you know the one so this is like iconic iconic i this scene the jumpsuit the astrodome the disco medley the whole thing i also want to say i really hope that they don't write out don shelton out of part two i actually have to go back and watch the trailer again because i don't think that she has backup dancers on the stage with her I think it's the band, it's the musicians, but I don't see backup dancers on the stage. And I just want to say that Don Shelton, for those maybe who are not familiar with the name, 
he was Selena's, one of Selena's backup dancers, who I feel when you watch Selena's most iconic concert footage and her dance sequences, that when she's dancing with Don Shelton, they have the, the most amazing dance chemistry and onstage chemistry. Uh, Don Shelton has passed away. He's been um, passed for a few years now, but he was her one of her only black backup dancers who consistently like in her shows and in the Houston Astrodome show specifically, right? And I think it's really important that he be in it because I mean, as far as like the production, the show, the iconic imagery, our footage, like he's there. He's part of her story. In a lot of their interviews, like where they included the dancers in the band, you know, Selena and Don had like a really fun back and forth and repartee and like just really great like on-screen chemistry and everything. So I also want to say that, like I expect Don Shelton and if I don't see him, I will be upset. No, it's important. I agree um, because he was an important member of the team as well. And so, yeah, I agree. We cannot erase someone from her team, one of the only Black members that we know of that was on her team, right? Mm -hmm. And so I am hoping for the best. And that being said, we are actually going to be in conversation with Doctora Deb Paredes. Uh, we had an episode with her last year when we discussed Selena the series, and we are going to be in conversation with her virtually. UC Santa Barbara is hosting it, my alma mater. And it's going to be at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I will put the link in the show notes so y'all can register. It's free. We're going to be in conversation. We're going to talk about her book, Selenidad, and also how we uh, collectively remember Selena. Selena. So yeah. uh, register. It's free. It's going to be good. Doctora Paredes is amazing. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen. Yeah, and if you want even more podcasting about Selena Quintanilla, I recommend you tune into Anything for Selena, the podcast from NPR by uh, Maria Garcia. Adiosa and I actually interviewed with Maria, and you can hear us chat a little bit about Selena and our relationship with her, our thoughts about the show. Uh, go ahead and tune in. It's an amazing, amazing podcast. So you can get all kinds of in-depth Selena history to like really fill in the context for you. Oh, and also our episode is in Spanish. So Imagine. head over and listen to that one. We talk about uh, specifically Selena and the body, right? The body, politics, culture, um, and it's all in Spanish. We did our best, y'all. <laughs> Don't come for us. We tried. <laughs> we tried. Um, yeah, and so that is all in terms of updates. And we want to move on to a listener fave, one of our favorite segments called Weird Things White Women Did. Can you introduce so. this to us, Mala? Yes. Uh, one of our favorite segments, we don't always include it because we need a triggering event. Something needs to happen. A white lady needs to do something weird. And then we have a segment. So this week on Weird Things White Women Did, we have a couple. We have a couple of examples. We want to start with Dr. Jill Biden. Poor thing. She tried. She tried. She tried. <laughs> it was the Cisse Podway heard around the world. World on <laughs> Cesar Chavez Day, obviously. <laughs> Tell us more about Dr. Jill Biosa. <laughs> you know, Dr. Joe Biden seems like a very lovely, well-meaning white woman. I will yeah. say that because they exist. You know, those like very just nice, polite, well-meaning white women 
and then they do something dumb and they try to speak in Spanish to you. You know the one. They're out there. You probably have encountered them lots of times, right? And there's just something always cringy about them trying to speak Spanish to you. And also, it's a microaggression. It is. And maybe like a macroaggression, depending on what happens, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Um, and so she was trying to see, say, si se puede. So say it with me. Si se puede. The future is ours. Thank you. And I feel kind of bad because look, uh, honestly, give me a language. I can really only uh, pronounce things in English. And you know, <laughs> I could do a pretty good job in Spanish. Like I'm still the El Pocha. Like it's not perfect. But I think that there is like, I don't know. We got to like, if I, I can't say this word, folks, like mm -hmm. I can't say it. Like I've tried, I've practiced yeah. it. It might come off as offensive if I yeah. try. Is there another well, way that I can honor this community mm -hmm. and acknowledge them without butchering their language? Well, I, I think like it just speaks larger to like politicians pandering to Latinos by yeah. speaking Spanish. And we see that every election cycle um, where people start doing their whole speeches in Spanish and it, it's mildly offensive, you know? Yeah. Like I, I can forgive like a phrase, right? Jill, she said it wrong. She mispronounced it. Someone on her team didn't prep her correctly or maybe she, maybe they did and she just fucked it up, right? I, I can forgive that, but like whole speeches in Spanish yeah. when you're not a Spanish speaker, like I would rather a paid translator, you know, like hire an actual translator to translate your speech, you know, audibly. Um, yeah. I think that that's fine. I think that's appropriate. But I think like the pandering is like, oh, where it gets really cringy. It gets really cringy. And, you know, I mean, it's like this too. Um, we care about things other than, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't have to do this every time we talk about the Latinx community, but not everybody speaks Spanish. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, and so they, they narrow in on this mm -hmm. like one detail that they're the, like, well, enough of them. The growing number of like U.S. Latinos probably speak more Spanglish than anything. It's like an evolving yeah. language. We know that it's a living language. We speak it. Uh, it has its yeah. own rules. You can't just like say decide which word is going to be said in Spanish and what word is going to be said in English. That's when we know you're phony, you know, like it doesn't <laughs> work that way. <laughs> it has its own rules. Um, and really? also regionally, like each like region of the States, like has their own Spanglish rules, like Spanglish in LA is going to sound different than Spanglish in Miami or Spanglish in the, on the East coast in New York or Boston, what have you. Right. So yeah, recognize, as always, Latinx folks are not a monolith. We don't all speak Spanish. Some of us do, some of us don't. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Dr. Jill, you tried. <laughs> you tried, girl. She tried. She tried. We forgive her. We forgive her. Yeah. But, uh, you know, message to politicians. If you don't speak the language, like, don't, I, I would just say don't force it. Don't force it. Like Yosa said, hire the translator, you know, pay someone from the community mm -hmm. to appropriately deliver the message. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Whew. And there's more. There are more weird things that white women have done. And just to be clear, you know, um, these are things that are not 
just confined to this week or this moment. Most of these are issues like that have history behind them, right? Yes. One of them being, as you all know, I have been take, I'm one of many people who have um, really started practicing roller skating and such during the pandemic. I started practicing my backwards skating and my tricks and my this and my that. You know, I, I rollerbladed and I did some ice skating as a kid and it's something that's kind of always been with me because it's so fun, right? So a few years ago, I bought my roller skates. I was really only skating indoors. I would go to World on Wheels because that's my local rink closest to my home. And it was in the summer of 2020 when I noticed, right, like all these women in particular posting their roller skating videos and all the really fun tricks they were doing, all the fun locations they were skating at. I got really into skating at the beach, especially the boardwalk in Santa Monica. And something I want to talk about is what some folks refer to as skate etiquette, right? And uh, the skate community, depending on where you're at, but especially in Los Angeles, is very diverse. But what I have learned over the course of like my practice and getting more involved like in this in this world is that skating especially dance skating and jam skating in LA is an art form that has really been uh perfected by black skaters, by black skaters who have been skating at the Venice Boardwalk for years, who have been skating at different indoor rinks for years, for decades, and really innovating the skating that we see super popularized now on Instagram. So something that I have come to learn, you know, when I first started, I was seeing like a lot of influencers and folks posting like Anna Octo and a lot of skaters who are like thin white women. And one of the moves that especially other beginner skaters have probably seen and been wanting to practice and emulate, I know I have, is this one movement called the sexy walk, which is like you're walking in place on your skates, one foot in front of the other, or you're going backwards. And I saw like a lot of influencers posting like, oh, Anna Octo has like the, the illest like sexy walk. It's like the smoothest sexy walk. Like she's so good. Well, come to find, right, that that specific move was actually like invented and made popular by a black woman skater named Star who's from LA. So in my learning to skate, it's like coming to realize that the, even those very specific like moves that anybody is doing and learning, somebody probably invented that. And in LA, in any case, most of those skaters have been like OG black skaters. And it's been interesting because apparently some of the more popular, newer, like white women Skate influencers with like hundreds of thousands of followers. Some of them have been like learning from the OG black skaters, many of whom like do not really charge for their lessons. It's very much like this is the culture, this is the knowledge. Like if you show up and you're respectful and you're dedicated and you want to learn, like we will teach you, you can learn, right? But then a lot of these uh, thin white women skate influencers with who have gotten like gigs and like Dua Lipa music videos and commercials, some of them have in a pretty short amount of time learned these moves from OG black skaters, then flipped the knowledge and started charging skate lessons. Some of these women apparently for $100 a session, which apparently is extremely unheard of. And then allegedly, 
uh, some of these white women not showing up for their sessions that they charged people $100 for, not refunding people. I haven't done like a forensic investigation, but I'm following just along, following along online, the conversation. So if you're a skater and you're out there, you know, of course, I'm super new. This is like my very shallow sort of understanding of what's been going on. I recommend that you follow accounts like um, Farron, uh, Lily Skates A Lot, um, Just Stara, there's uh, Sweet Hazel Roxy, like there's all these Black women skaters, both in LA and out of state, who have been commenting and sharing and just kind of giving some insight into the history and the appropriation and what's been going on. So I say like, if you're going to skate and you're going to show up at like historically Black skate locations, make sure you know your history, that you're being respectful, that you're not taking knowledge that took decades to develop and skate styles that you know og black skaters have been innovating on and then like taking credit and like charging people a hundred dollars for it that's not cool guys do better that is some <laughs> white nonsense honestly like the audacity to charge people something that you were taught for free or on the low that is wild i one thing is like you develop your craft you taught yourself, you trained, you studied, and you start your own like small business or charging or whatever. Another thing is like someone taught you for free and now you're going to take their concept and like run with it as if it's your own. That's not a good look. That's it's, really bad. That's very unethical actually. It's very unethical. And what I also find interesting is like, even when I was barely starting and doing my posting my little progress mm -hmm. there were followers already dming me and asking me if i would teach skate lessons mm. which was weird because i'm like do you not see how bad i am <laughs> like i'm literally posting video yeah. evidence of how i'm learning and how i'm so new and novice so something that definitely to me stood out with this with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the appropriation in the skate community and, and the charging and the lessons is like, if you have enough of a following and enough name recognition and enough uh, clout, folks are going to reach out to you for the opportunity to like learn from you specifically, like as right. a persona. Right. And so it's, it's your responsibility then as an influencer or whatever, as someone who's visible, visible to not take people's money for things that you can't deliver on. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, it was funny to me, but I can also see how this can happen, right? You have a little bit of a following, people like you, you're doing something, they wanna learn from you or do the thing with you, mm -hmm. right? So I'm getting DMs from people asking me if I'll teach them skate lessons. And I say, I don't teach skate lessons, I'm new, I'm, I'm learning. Like I can't teach you this, you know? So I think that that's part of the conversation too is like, could you not refer them to somebody that you learned from. Like, actually, you should go learn from this person. Yeah, also, like, what the fuck? Like, why is, I mean, I know why capitalism, right? But there's just so much pressure to monetize your fucking hobby. Just fucking yeah. skate, you just know what fun. I mean? Like, have fun, have your little skate crew. Like, we really have to monetize, like, we're in a moment now, we're in a time period where we really are monetizing everything, you know? Everything. Everything. And like one thing is your hustle and another thing is like, I'm going to steal from people and call it my own. Yeah. You know, I mean, it took us a long time to even feel comfortable monetizing this podcast. 
like really like it has taken us so long to feel like it's appropriate for us to earn money or charge money or make money. We felt like we had to put in a certain amount of time and work and demonstrated whatever before we could put a dollar sign on this. And so I think as with all things, it's like self-awareness, give credit to people who taught you. And like, you know, it takes a while to become really good at something and to be in a position to ethically charge people for your knowledge. So I don't know, weird things white women did this week. That's a little snapshot. And we'd love to hear more. If you have insights, if you have more information, if you have like, I don't know, a a gossip chisme that you want to share, a different perspective, you're always welcome to email us or DM us. If there is a weird thing a white woman did, you can also let us know about it. We can look into it and maybe talk about it on a future episode. All right, y'all. We still have some more things to cover. So we're going to head into a quick song break and we will be right back. Right, and now to get into the very tender, very juicy, very flavorful carne of today's episode. And we want to talk about Satan having a moment, um, the devil being one of our favorite pop culture icons, and the most recent sort of controversy surrounding this topic has to do with Lil Nas and his new music video for Montero, Call Me By Your Name, which I think has a lot of artistic parallels to our Locatora Radio Season 5 visuals. We will tap into that in a little bit. But basically, Lil Nas, who we love, who's extremely talented and makes incredible music, came out with some really exciting, really cool visuals in a music video for Call Me By Your Name. And there's been a lot of interesting outcry and responses to it. As always, the conservatives are mad. And I feel like a real heathen or just like a regular person because I watched the music video and I was like, I don't get it. What's the problem? Right. You know, like this is just some real recovering Catholic shit because I'm just like, I don't get it. What's the problem? Um, I, I don't think that the video is scandalous. You know, like in the music video, he like goes to hell literally because that's what we tell queer well that's what society tells queer people or folks of the lgbtq identity right that they will be going to hell um, if they partake in a cult particular lifestyle right if they choose to live their life in a certain way um disobeying god right um and there's you know you know how the conservative christians are how the catholics are how they're very religious bible clutching 
people are. And uh, so he does exactly that. He goes to hell and he gives Satan a lap dance. I don't see what the problem is. You, you say we're going to hell anyway, and then we do, and oh my God, que escándalo. Right. Like, uh, following directions or not. Like, what's the issue? And Lil Nas literally does, like, a pole dance, like, slides down a gigantic pole from heaven down to hell. I think it's brilliant imagery. I think it's so funny and creative. Mm -hmm. And, like, really interesting, you know? Um, I love the inclusion of the pole and that Lil Nas learned how to do some pole dancing. For the video, pole dancing has also really become very much like a pop culture phenomenon. I mean, going from like the strip club to now pole dancing and people taking the techniques and learning them. And you can see pole dancing all over Instagram. People have poles in their houses. It's very interesting. And so to see Lil Nas incorporate that as well into the video was cool. I do believe that a lot of the outcry is so bizarre and hypocritical too, because it's like, depending on who you talk to, you know, we talk about being recovering Catholic, but depending on the type of Christian you're talking to, there are plenty of people that believe truly that Catholics are hellbound, like as a group. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's true. It's so true. Um, Yeah. I also want to circle back and say like what you were, what you were saying about like, um, pole dancing becoming Mm. like a pop culture. Like, yeah, definitely. I think sex worker aesthetics, or sex worker culture have become like an aesthetic in pop mm-hmm. culture. And so I want to like just recognize that because it has become more popularized, right? And we do see it more. And I think I, I think that Lil Nas posted like about FKA Twigs because she like had a music video and she like worked with sex workers. And um, I want to say the proceeds of the music video or something was like directly connected to like a sex worker org um don't quote me but there's definitely a connection there and so yeah i definitely want to recognize and recognize that right that a lot of like the popular visuals and aesthetics that we like um are rooted in like sex work yeah absolutely and that of of black sex workers right and i think that there's been more and more conversation about that online in recent years Mm -hmm. and i remember when fka twigs started like posting Mm -hmm. her like pole sessions and Mm -hmm. her her techniques and her moves and she started incorporating pole into her music videos and such and i feel like it was she was ahead of the curve like she was before i that was before i started seeing it like all over Mm -hmm. instagram like i remember distinctly seeing fka twigs doing it there's also an account that i used to follow and i think that she still posts but pole assassin is this Mm. other like amazing well she's a she's a pole dancer and she dances in strip clubs right so she's a stripper and she does I've never been to one of these clubs, but I'm dying to go. One of those strip clubs where they have just the impossibly tall pole that's just like miles and miles and miles of pole, like the the, the huge like cathedral ceilings. So this girl, Pole Assassin, this woman does crazy tricks on those super, super tall poles. So, you know, there were definitely women like um, killing it and posting online for years. But I think it's been like in the past five yeah. that it's really become like, okay, skinny white ladies do it now. Right, right. You it's, know? It's the mainstream. It's mainstream. <laughs> but yeah, so so there's that layer of the conversation. Uh, we also want to circle back to this idea as um, this idea of Satan being a pop culture icon because right. truly, truly... 
we have grown up on satanic content and we're going to talk about our favorite satanic content today. I mean, honestly, like in the, like the OG, like in cartoon animation, at least is like him from the Powerpuff Girls, right? Like, yeah. That's iconic um, yeah. and definitely like something I love to see like on my own social media. I love when anything Powerpuff Girls or like him related is invoked. I love it. Um, we've been, we grew up on Satan, the devil as a pop culture icon, not only like as a biblical icon, literally learning, reading scripture. Like I've been to Catholic school K through 12. So like I know all about the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I know, know all so about much the devil. I know about so the devil. much. Um, and, you know, and then also like seeing it as literal pop culture. There are yeah. so many, like, there's so many like gothy faves, Satan faves, fave moments. What are some others, Mala? Yeah, there are so many. And kind of like including under the umbrella of like satanic content, I think that most Catholics, most Christians would agree that anything involving like witchcraft, the occult, vampires, demons, like strange monsters, these are all considered satanic, devilish things, right? Mm -hmm. So I would include absolutely like our favorite macabre families, the Adams family, the Munsters. They were dabbling in, in the dark arts, of course, but doing it, it was so cute and fun. We yes. love them. We love the Adams family. We do. Yes. Also the craft, a fave. Yeah. A cult, a literally a cult classic. Mm -hmm. Hocus Pocus. Yeah. There's a literal show called Lucifer. And so we, like, say this because, like, okay, what kind of hypocrisy, like, this, like, faux conservative outcry when, one, there are so many other things to focus on? Because these aren't, like, just regular, regular people. These are, like, elected officials, right, that are yeah. tweeting at Lil Nas. Like, I'm sorry, can you go deal with your constituents, like, and stop tweeting at this musician? Like, yeah. Could you deal with the devils amongst you mm -hmm. in your ranks? The devils you work with, like this Matt Gates guy mm -hmm. who's yeah, been literally. like sex trafficking minors. Like there are devils out there that we can deal with. Truly. Truly. True devils, like true devils out there. There's like true evil that y'all need to deal with and y'all need to put in check. Like, you know, and that's why we say it's like, it's false. Like it's a faux, it's phony. It's a faux outcry, a pearl clutching. Like it's not real and it's not mm -mm. based on anything like actual, it's not based on anything real, you know, yeah. like it's just, you see a black person, you see a black queer person living our, their authentic life, creating beautiful, gorgeous art. And that's the threat. Not that Satan is involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny how every so often there's a piece of art or media, there's a pop culture moment that is allegedly like the, <laughs> the sign that humanity is over and like the final straw that's going to break civilizations right. back. Because last year it was WAP and now it's... Call me by your name. Now it's call me by your name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you're so dramatic. We could point to something like failed responses to the pandemic, that could be the thing that destroys us. But it's not going to be an individual song or music video. 
Correct. Let's right. get it together. Or like, um, what about the children? Well, there's, you know, what about the children that are literally in detention centers, right? What about the children that are, you know, getting taken from their families because they can't afford lunch, you know, because they have a balance on their, their school lunch. Like, are you yeah. kidding? Like there's real children to worry about, not some figurative child that is going to be influenced by a fucking music video. God damn yeah. it. Like, What about the children? What about them? I was raised watching Predator, the Predator movies. <laughs> okay. What about me? Yeah. I'm sorry. You can also like, uh, hello, K through 12, read the Bible. Look at me now. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, sure. <laughs> right. This is a product of many years. Hello. Yes. Look where we find ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I would argue that immense like exposure to Catholicism in the church actually like really lends itself to 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 being gothy and interested in the occult later mm -hmm. in life. I think about like how gruesome it is sometimes. I mean, I'm like, this is some hardcore shit, y'all. Like what? the body and blood and the crucifix and the stations of the cross. We used to do every yes. year as children and it's mm -hmm. us literally reenacting an execution. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I'm like, what is the Catholic to heathen pipeline? What is the Catholic to goth pipeline? Like, what is the Catholic to baddie pipeline? <laughs> like, I want right. to know. <laughs> the Catholic to heathen baddie pipeline. I want to know, because I think that there's a connection to be made. It's true. We're yeah. collecting evidence as we speak. This is for data collection. We want to know. How many of you followed the Catholic to heathen baddie pipeline? <laughs> Tell us. It's funny, too, because I've known of, like, Latinos in particular that, like, when they were growing up, their parents did not allow them to read the Harry Potter books oh, or, right. like, the Twilight books or watch mm -hmm. any of the movies because mm -hmm. cosas del diablo. Right. You know? That was my father, but we would do it anyway. <laughs> you know? Of course. <laughs> but what I was thinking is also, like, how pagan um, we're going to drink the blood of Christ and eat the body of Christ. Like, I'm sorry, what? I think about it all the time. You know, it's it, like there's a lot of paganism rooted in Catholicism, and we know that, right? Like that. We, this is this is a fact. This isn't like me making anything up. This is factual. Yeah. Um, and like I always like to say before I offend anybody that's a practicing Catholic, like I feel like if not us, people that two women that went to Catholic school were raised Catholics have devout Catholic families, like if not us, then who can talk about Catholicism? Yeah. You know, like we have the lived experience. We really do. I've completed all my sacraments besides marriage, death, and holy orders. Like <laughs> I, I think I know what I'm talking about. And speaking of, and speaking of the weird, we could go, uh, there's so much weird shit. Like when I, when I stopped going to Catholic school and I like entered the world, I realized like, you know, people think we're weird. <laughs> people are like, Catholics are like a weird little cult. Cause we are, cause, cause it, it, is. it is. Because it is, it's very cult-like. Um, I think that there's a lot of religions, right? That like organized religions that have cult-like tendencies, right? Oh yeah, cult-like proclivities. Yes, yes. I, I, I just want to end on this thought. Why are second graders forced to confess their sins what are the sec what have the second graders done? <laughs> Indoctrination. 
it's like her first, you know, first reconciliation. I remember thinking back, like, what sins can I tell this priest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having to like, like think like, okay, um, what did I do that was bad? You know what I mean? <laughs> like having to like really like dig like, okay, what do I confess? Like, what is a venial sin? What is a mortal sin? Right. What will be my penance? Like, <laughs> right. You know, right. like having to think about that and prep because anxiety, even as a child, I was like, okay, what am I going to tell the priest? I need to prep. I need to have my little list ready. Right. Because mm-hmm. what the fuck? Um, to clean my soul of the, the blotches of sin that I've left on my eternal soul. Lord. <laughs> Lord. Say 10 Our Fathers and four Hail Marys. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Also, no. like, I didn't complete my sacraments because <gasps> when I got, so I technically got confirmed. I had the ceremony, but mm-hmm. I don't, I wasn't like officially confirmed. So if I went to like my, my local church, um, they would be like, no, you probably have to redo it because I didn't go to the retreat because when you get Ugh, confirmed, there's a the retreat, retreat and I didn't go to the retreat because I went to LA pride instead. <laughs> I have no regrets. No. That's what I did instead because while I was getting confirmed, it was when I was like questioning my sexuality. And so I was like, "Mm, I'm not doing this. This isn't happening. So I did it. (laughs) As you shouldn't. Exactly. I think you made the right choice. No regrets. I made the right choice. No regrets. You definitely made the right choice. I'm just going to say this. Getting confirmed. I don't get any discounts anywhere. There's no fast pass (laughs) to the front of the line. I think you don't get a fast pass to the Eucharist line. No, no, and (laughs) not to heaven either. Apparently, (laughs) so so that's that, y'all. Satan's having a pop culture moment. Shout out to the shout out Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Satan, the baddest bitch. I. I mean, and you can see, you know, the the influence in our season five visuals. Oh, yeah. You know, clearly. Yeah. We had angel devil action. You know, we play off of good angel, bad angel, sort of that dynamic with our names, Mala and Diosa, and we run with it. And in our se- season five visuals, you see Diosa serving angelic ethereal heavenly i'm bringing flames of hellfire you know devilish and and uh so when we saw the Lil nas video we felt spoken to yes we felt like you know what we are ahead of the curve as always <laughs> per huge per huge so yes friends that um has been uh, taking up a lot of our time and energy recently, you know, trying to keep track of world events, keep track of pop culture events, um, seeing how we fit into it all. And of course, none of this would be possible, right? The podcast, the show, our episodes, if it were not for our team, our incredible team of artists and editors and web designers who make every episode possible. So right now we want to give you guys a little bit of BTS, some insight into the making of Locatora. And when you contribute to our iFund Women campaign, this is going to give you some context into exactly where your money is going. Yosa, do you want to get us started? Yeah. So as y'all know, right, Mala and I host the show. We produce Locatora Radio. We're the voices of Locatora Radio. 
And up until a year ago, we were also editing the podcast. And so now when we record an episode, when we send, we send it over to an, our audio editor, Jordan, she adds all the cute sounds. She adds all the little sound bites. She makes the sound better. And uh, then she sends it back to us. We upload it to our, the different streaming platforms. And an additional step is it also lives on our website. And in order for it to live on our website, we have a web designer, shout out Mariana, and she makes our website look beautiful. She takes all of our ideas and brings them to life, all our aesthetic visions onto the website. And so those are two members that like, just in producing the website, I'm sorry, just in producing the episode, we need to take into account, right? Additionally, we have our visuals person. Do you want to talk about that, Mala? Yes. So we've worked with a number of really talented photographers in the past. Over the course of the pandemic, we've started working really consistently with our photographer and visual editor, Jessica Magaña, Jessica, who is also known as Red Heart Media if you are online. So Jessica is really responsible for our season five visuals. We've shared the idea, our concept, what we wanted to look and feel like. And Jessica went so far as to build the set by hand. Those flames that you see on my photos, she made those and painted them and set them up by hand. She uh, shot and edited our videos for us, our season five trailers. And uh, she's incredible. So definitely hire her. She's so good at what she does. In addition to our videos and our photos, we also have some beautiful graphics that if you are subscribed to our Patreon, you get a free, included with, right, your monthly subscription, you get a monthly original wallpaper that you can download for your phone. And those wallpapers are made by Micah Amaro, who is our designer. And Micah also works on our merch. So when you see like new Locatora merch, the designs, the drawings, that's all Micah. So you can check out Amaro Art on Instagram. That's Micah Amaro's page. She's incredibly talented and she helps really bring the visual side of things to life as well. So as you can see, we have a whole team behind Locatora Radio, and that's really exciting because for many years, it's been Mala and I, and y'all have really pushed us to grow, which is really exciting. Like none of this, of course, is possible without y'all, our listeners, and also none of it is possible without our team. So when you fund our iPhone Women campaign, it goes back to paying our team paying ourselves a small honorarium and also formalizing Locatora Productions um, and, you know, really turning Locatora officially, formally uh, into a business, which means paying business taxes, you know, and if you run a business, you know what that's like. And also to run a business in California has its own expenses. So mm -hmm. any contribution to our iPhone Women campaign helps us with that. And so I quickly want to shout out some of our donors. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we are going to be thanking our donors individually on each episode. So if you don't hear your name today, no worries, we will definitely get to you. And we have 108 funders. So that's really exciting. We have a little over 70 days left for the campaign. We're well on our way from 90 days to 100K. Mm -hmm. Quickly wanna shout out Caitlin, 
who donated, who contributed to the iPhone Women campaign, Bob and Anna, Elias Munoz, Sofia Romero, Iris, Alex, Marie Boza, Glittery Femme, Darlene, Cassie Rubio, Mariana Araujo, Yvette Aranza, Virginia, and Miles. Thank you so much to all of you that have contributed thus far. If you would like to contribute to our 90 Days to 100K crowdfund campaign, head to ifundwomen.com forward slash projects forward slash locatora dash productions. Every amount helps. It all goes towards paying our legal fees, paying our team who we pay on a per project or monthly basis. So you are really helping to keep the dream alive and bring a new Latina led production house into the world. So thank you to those who have helped out and funded so far. If you're looking for other ways to support Locatora Radio, you can buy our merch. Head to locatoraradio.com and check out Shop Loquita. We've got stickers. We've got crops. We've got poppy hats. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. If you contribute to the campaign, you can also get some fun goodies. Check out our different tiers and the incentives. And yeah, thank you for tuning in to another capítulo of Locatora Radio. We will catch you next time. A radiophonic novella. Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Dios FM. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.